Welcome to VPG's virtual water cooler chat podcast, where we share lessons and stories of women professionals to help empower other women and expand a greater circle of influence. So we walk our journey with those who understand and appreciate us. Today, we are going to chat with Natasha Tosh Craig Durkins. Tosh is a senior executive in the federal government and has served in several key leadership positions throughout her civil service career. She is also the celebrated author of a recently published book, Fiercely Joyful, 11 Keys to Living Authentically and Creating a Life You Love. In her most recent roles, Tosh has focused on reconciling the challenging budget landscape, creating strategic approaches to resolving complex problems, and driving cultural transformation across organizations. Stemming from her passion for diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, DEIA, Tosh created a bi-monthly communication platform to encourage the growth of employees and support organizational health by providing a safe space to expand thoughts, self-awareness, and celebrate diversity. Tosh attended Howard University and later earned a degree in business administration with a concentration in marketing from George Mason University. Tosh is a native of Scranton, Pennsylvania. She is a foodie who loves to indulge in the many culinary delights across the Washington, D.C. metro area where she resides with her husband and two dogs, Boomer and Kobe. Let's get started. Hello, Tash. How are you doing? Thank you so much for agreeing to be on this uh, virtual water cooler chat podcast re- recording today. Um, how are you? Thank you so much for having me, Ashley. I am fantastic and you have like the coolest name ever for your podcast. I love the virtual water cooler chat. It's fabulous. It's an honor to be with you today. Well, thank you. I just figured that it started like in, um, I guess, during COVID time. Mm-hmm. And we used to be like at pantry talking to people at, you know, with water cooler. And yeah. then COVID happened and it really sort of like take away that social interaction. And I want to raise health minded and wellness theme. So I was like, oh, water, because otherwise there's like cafe and, you know, happy hour, whatever. I am much more of a H2O person. <laughs> me too. I always have water bottle right by me. <laughs> I also have a water bottle. All right, so can you tell us the essence of Tash Durkins? I love that question. Um, you know, I guess when I think about the essence of me, it's it's sort of, you know, what's at the center of my being. And that's really all about authenticity. Um, I live it, breathe it, tell everybody else about it. And it's the way that I can stay aligned with my purpose. In my values, so that the essence of me is being authentic and showing up as myself truly. Awesome. Well, you are a federal executive. Would you mind sharing how you decided to write the book that you're writing and name it Fiercely Joyful? Tell us about that journey. Sure, sure. I'd love to. You know, it's so funny, Ashley, because I've been talking about writing a book for 10 years (laughs) and I never wrote a word. Let me just tell you, I just was dreaming about it. And I I, I don't know, it took me a long time to figure out why I couldn't get the words on paper. And 
but it never stopped me from wanting to get it done. Like I had this overwhelming desire, but didn't do anything really to, to progress. Right. And finally, I found this organization that focuses on writing in a group, writing in community. And so my dream suddenly now has a chance of becoming a reality and it will soon because um, I realized I needed just a different structure. I couldn't write alone. I just needed the accountability. Actually, I could not bring myself to the table if nobody was expecting me to be there. <laughs> so having found out about this program through book creators um, and New Degree Press, I finally wrote the book in about five months time. And I called it Fiercely Joyful because I'm sharing some of my favorite life lessons, some that are my own, as well as many that are from my parents who both passed away when I was pretty young, but they focused on joy being at the center of who they were. And I've carried that with me and I, I do it. I did it at first to kind of make them proud. And now it's just who I am. And I recognize that showing up authentically helps me find joy, even in the hardest of times. And I call it fierce joy because it's enduring. No one can take it away. And I dare to show up that way every single day because it makes me feel good. Do you find it difficult to be authentic in a high-power professional setting, especially as a woman of color? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I, for years, showed up in a way that was focused on conforming. You know, whatever way I thought people wanted me to show up and what I thought I had to do to be successful. And I finally recognized I was leaving my true value, my true essence at home and not bringing it with me to work. And that's what makes me have something unique to offer. And I was just like, why am I doing this? It was taking so much from my energy, from my spirit. And so I couldn't just leap in and decide to be exactly the same me at work as I was at home. So I dipped my little toe in the water and tried things out little by little until I got more comfortable. And actually the best thing, and this is why I love being in the job I'm in now, other people made space for me to do that, particularly as a woman of color. There were other women who could see when I was biting my tongue, you know, holding something back, you know, trying too hard to please others rather than represent the ideas I really believed in. And, and they encouraged me to stop that and to actually use my voice. And so that combination of people making space for me and setting the example, and then me getting more comfortable showing the whole world me as I truly was, that those two things together make it possible for me to do that in an executive role. And I'll just say this, I, um, 
I lean on everybody else to do the same. Because for me, actually, it feels like freedom. It feels like freedom that I get to just be me and I don't have to hide or pretend. I don't have to conform. You know, it doesn't mean I get to do everything. I just, you know, there has to be a filter at times, right? You know, to be professional. And, you know, I say that I love to wear bling and I can't wear my bedazzled sparkling suit to work. <laughs> but... Maybe to your launch party. <laughs> yes, my launch party. But I can wear, I can bring my planner that has some sparkle on it and my little pen that has some bedazzle and still bring pieces of me, you know, in a way that's acceptable still. I want to talk a little bit about how we met because we are both in a completely different space. And uh, Randy had her power lunch, and you and I sit across from each other. One of the things that I really do want to applaud you for is just like being so infectious with your smile. So can we talk a little bit about that? And, you know, let's reminisce a little bit of the old time of how we got to know each other in only a couple of months of time and really connected. Ashley, I get, I get the chills just thinking about it. You are such a blessing to me. It's just, I love that you are so giving and generous and kind to others and, and willing to accept people. And I, I connected with you immediately in that luncheon. I was so inspired. You tell me about your business. You're telling me about your book and that you're writing another book. So you're getting ready to come out with number two. Um, Sounds like I'm having a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Number two on the way. <laughs> I just really connected with you. I love your spirit, and I'm I'm attracted to people with good energy. I'm really, you know, and so that felt infectious to me. And people have have said to me on occasion that my smile, you know, sometimes can can light up a space. And that to me is such an honor. I feel very humbled by that because people said that about my mother. And with my mother having moved on, um, it makes me really good to know that she left that with me. And I think just that smile sometimes, Ashley, when I see people on the street and I greet them, I do smile because I'm like, it's, hey, I want to be pleasant. I want to be kind. And that might be the only smile they get all day. You know, or the only time someone feels seen. And I think it comes from, too, my background is I had a lot of customer service jobs, even retail. I worked in fast food. Girl, let me tell you, that was something. You got to be pleasant to people who aren't pleasant to you, right? But the way, you know, Maya Angelou has that saying where it's something like people will forget what you say and they'll forget what you do but they never forget how you make them feel. And that's how with you, I felt so welcome. I felt accepted because I'm looking at you like, oh my God, this one is this amazing business owner. You know, I'm just a government employee. <laughs> you know, what do I do for, you know? And I'm looking at you who has all this courage and all this pizzazz and, and who's so kind and giving. 
And you were just like, hey, we're, you know, we're equally yoked. We, we got each other. And that made me feel so good. So I feel blessed that we met. I do feel very blessed that we met as well. And you taught me like slangs that I was not aware of. So let's talk a little bit about DEIA space. And I read from your bio that you were one of the founding member of a working group at your agency. And can you talk about what DEIA mean to you? Of course. So diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. Not everybody necessarily uses the A, but in the government, we, we tend to. And actually what I did was I created a, a new create, uh, communication mechanism to kind of highlight various issues related to DEIA. And my goal was to provide not just information and insights and perspectives, but some tangible tips for people to understand how they could do things uh, in support of DEIA, recognize some of the things we do that don't support it, et cetera. And I'll never forget, it was um, after George Floyd was murdered that I was having conversations with my team, the previous team that I worked with in Atlanta, just about what was happening. And I felt the need to open up a space for safe conversations. People could ask questions that normally were taboo, so to speak, right? And that's why I myself learned the difference between being anti-racist versus not racist, right? Mm -hmm. Anti-racist is is literally leaning in to behave in the opposite way versus saying, I'm not racist, which is might just be sitting quietly and not doing anything, right? So talking to my team about those things, And one person asked the first question, a brave soul on my team, when we get together, we're on Zoom, thank God, most of the cameras are off because it's during COVID. And the brave person, the first question she asked, I'm so nervous, Ashley, oh my God, what is she going to say? She said, can you tell me whether I should call you Black or African American? Because I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say. I was like, oh, I can answer this question. And I said... It depends. <laughs> she was like, oh. Such a loyally answer. <laughs> you know, but I gave, you know, some perspective about me personally. I generally don't call myself African-American because my first marriage, I was married once before, and I was married into an African family that didn't necessarily care for Black American people. They thought we were beneath them. And so it was a very difficult time in my life. So I didn't want to be associated with African-American. I'm like, I'm a Black woman, Black American. Other people, if you call them Black, they're going to get mad at you because they're like, I'm not a color. <laughs> you know, I'm a race. I'm not, don't call me that. You know, but so anyway, that's how I answered the question. And um, I told her the bottom line is you're going to have to ask people what they prefer. Just, just do the the respectful thing and ask, and then you can oblige accordingly, you know, but just, you know, being able to have conversations and that continue for, for a few months, actually it, it 
opened up my eyes to the fact that whether I have a job that's a DEI job, DEIA job or not, I can make a difference by just engaging, just engaging and giving people the space. And so I've embraced that since then. And I, I make it part of just who I am. That's great. The reason why I am very intrigued by this is that um, this year I was actually appointed as a um, vice chair of the diversity committee at the PTAP Bar Association as a non-attorney practitioner. I'm really being very grateful for that appointment and also being involved and learn from some of the attorneys practitioners uh, in the space. And they have actually really accepted me. Um, one of the things that you mentioned before was like, I'm so open in accepting. I was, I'm a recovery, still kind of work in progress. People please it. Ah. So it's like so hard for me to say no, but I've learned. And it's especially as a business owner, you really have to do that. Um, I've learned from some of the consultants is that just because people want to hire you uh, for work and for cases, you really need to be selective because otherwise you are assuming liability. This is liability, you know? So before it's like, oh my God, people are, you know, they really like me, you know? Right. But then now I have to take a, it's like, it's going to be four year in January. Mm, I started fun. in January 2020. And pe some people ask me, and I think you might have actually asked me, were you afraid when you first started? I said, of I course, I was petrified. <laughs> you know, I was like, do I have enough money saved? How is this going to work? You know, um, so I think that a lot of it is like the first couple of years, I have to say, I kind of practice with the previous mindset. So I knew how to do the job. I've often, I often am really good at my job. And so this is where I got to where, where I was before. But then it becomes so much more challenges because I have never been a principal and founder or CEO before. When you sit on that C-suite and then trying to, especially as a startup, right? And people envy you for all the stuff that you have. And I, one thing that I do really enjoy is the autonomy. Mm -hmm. And I have some great support from some of my clients that started with, you know, that started supporting me when I first started. So I'm always grateful. I don't take anything for granted. And learning to be draw better boundaries is one of the things that I really want to do. And the other thing is that coming from like an Asian American culture, my parents used to own a Chinese restaurant in Lawrence, Kansas. So I was in the service industry for a long time. Even when I was like in junior high, high school. So I know that whole customer service People pleasing attitude, I think that's where it kind of started, right? And so that has been really interesting and really coming from the other side of the DEIA, from Asian American, which has like, you know, we talk about bamboo ceiling, we talk about like, you know, Asians, especially for women, 
you know, the stereotypical ones like they don't speak up and it's changing. Um, I've seen a lot of really great Asian American business leaders, attorneys. This is one of the reasons why I want to sort of highlight women practitioners or people that are actually really advocating DIA, DIA in the space. In the beginning, it was mostly in the patent or the litigation field. And then apparently I could just talk to most people. So I just kind of expanded that space. And that's just one of the reasons why I really, you know, I really like talking to women, especially leaders, business leaders that basically have so much wisdom to share. But most of the time, when we go to like conferences, people would talk about just basically subs substantive content. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, but what about the other part that make you who you are? You know, so I think that part is missing. And this is why I wanted to kind of highlight in the virtual one of group chat. And I'm so glad you are on it. And you know, I love that you said that, Ashley, because I keep saying this at work and I think people understand what I'm talking about now. <laughs> I used to, I told folks, I've been saying it the last several months in particular. I've always showed up up until maybe five, seven years ago. I've always showed up at work as an employee, a federal employee. And I wasn't showing up as a federal employee who's a woman and a woman of color. And all of that is who I am. I'm not just one piece of any of those things. And so I should be able to bring all of me into the door when I arrive at work. And so my coworkers were like, well, what really does that mean? <laughs> I said, it means that if I have some particular struggles that I have as a woman, I'm going to talk about them. I'm going to acknowledge them. I'm not going to hide them. I said, I've been perimenopause right now. I need a hand fan all the time because I am hot. And I don't need you saying, Tash is cool in here. Why are you hot? Because I am. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and if I come in and my hair is, is, is not quite right and I'm upset about it, not just say something about the humidity in my coils, it needs to be okay. You know, so it, it's that step of, of offering my full identity. And we should all be able to do that because that's what makes us amazing. Our uniqueness that comes from our holistic selves. Every piece of it makes us amazing in one way or another. And if we leave parts of it behind, we're not bringing all of ourselves. And we're not able to fully make our mark. I think that is part of a journey that comes with age and wisdom and now for and i'm hoping that you have addressed this all uh, in your book um if someone that is sort of like not quite there at this part of the journey and in the industries say for example in um industry that usually are male dominated and a lot of time we have to for the lack of better words suppress our voices for conformity how would you other than like just they just have to get there 
at some point. What would you say to encourage people to speak up without worrying about repercussion? I'm just kind of wondering. That's an excellent question, Ashley. And I do talk about that. I'm fiercely joyful. And I, I reference the opportunity to look at it through the lens of what exactly do you have to lose? Sometimes you might have a lot. Sometimes you might have a little. Just a little. That's where you start with taking that risk and seeing what happens. Like it might be a certain meeting that you're in where you know it's a safe space. In that group, you can speak up and it's going to be okay. You know, so you just test it there. Um, whereas you're sitting in a meeting and, and let's say, like I was for many years, you're sitting on the wall. You're not a participant. You're an observer. That is not the time <laughs> to decide <laughs> to just lean on in and go crazy. Right? That's usually not the time. <laughs> so literally, you know, you do, I give different examples in the book, but you do a little bit of risk calculation. And then as you both dip your, your, yourself in the, in, the, in the water, dip the toe in the water and observe what's going on around you, you know, seeing how peers and your supervisor or, or, or more senior leaders are received, you know, gives you a bit of perspective about what's acceptable and what isn't. Um, and I've actually sat down with my bosses prior to a discussion or a decision they're making or a meeting and said, you know, am I invited to actually give ideas here or should I just, should I listen? And I've had, you know, some bosses say, yeah, you can weigh in. And I, in fact, tell a story where one boss told me I could weigh in. And so I did in a meeting just one time. It was like an all-day meeting. I had one comment. Child, that comment really upset somebody in that room. <laughs> I know you laughing because I said child. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> upset somebody. And after the meeting, like they went to my boss and said, how dare Tash speak up? She has no business saying anything in this meeting. She's not an executive. But that's not how my boss felt, right? She was like, oh, don't worry about whatever, you know. (laughs) But that was how I was received by someone else, right? So you do have to recognize when you're calculating the risk. Sometimes it, it won't work out the way you hoped. And then start thinking proactively about how you'll address it when that happens, because it will. And I think sometimes that this is what I'm learning to as I am kind of growing in more of a leadership role because I have a team that I need to lead. Sometimes I do not agree with them. And, you know, especially in today's culture, like do you and where social media is so important when you said about risk calculation, you have to be authentic. But at the same time, you got to be you. If there's something that I strongly disagree, I'll let people know. But I think it's in how you say it and how you communicate it. And but sometimes it's like, but I'm the CEO. Why, why can I do this? Well, you know, you just have to learn, right? And 
it's really hard to balance everyone's interest or the stakeholders. I don't have that many people, oh, but you know, there's still enough of a challenges from time to time. Tell us about your upcoming book launch. Oh, sure, sure. I'm so excited. And honestly, Ashley, I'm still like on cloud nine that I actually did it, you know, and, and I will tell all the aspiring writers out there, you already know this. Writing your first draft is the easy part. <laughs> revisions that will kick your bottom. <laughs> the revisions is, oh, that's tough. And it's not so much pride and ownership, but it is trying to create a piece of art, a masterpiece that you think is really going to serve your readers well. You know, and, 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 you know, you and I are both the same in that way. We want the product to be as high quality and perfect and getting the message across as it can be. And I finally reconciled, there'll be some mistakes. Yep. I'm just going to have to deal with it. Right. Um, but I am so excited to see the words on paper in a soft cover now, ebook, and then I'm getting ready to start uh, recording the audio book. Are you going to use your own voice? Yes, I mm. am. So that'll come out in January. I'll be recording that soon. It'll come out in January. And I'm going to have several book launch events. So there'll be mm. a virtual event and there'll be some in-person events. Um, and right now I'm planning for Washington, D.C., Atlanta, and a few other locations. So super excited to go to some bookstores and do some book readings, all of that kind of fun stuff. But for me, I, I just want to help people see we have a lot more choice than we sometimes give ourselves around our own personal joy. We actually get to make a choice. And, and I would always say, I was so guilty of it for so long. I don't have a choice. I have to do this thing I don't want to do. I have no choice. I have to, I have to, I have to. No, I was making a choice. I just didn't want to own it. I didn't want to own it because it was an uncomfortable choice or something like that. And now I'm intentional about either owning the uncomfortable one, you know, or making the one that's the right one for me. But I want to help people see that there is a way to do that. And it comes from first being authentic. So that's what my, my book tour is going to be all about. Awesome. Well, unlike you, I prefer not to because I like my autonomy and my schedule is kind of like, I like to work alone a lot of times. And that's where I find my peace, like by writing. I did not realize that until I started doing some online Airbnb experience and I work with like um, one of the, you know, author that's kind of teach people about publishing. And so my very first work was like on Kindle Bella. So there's some short essays out there. And I'm good at writing, but not so great at promoting them. Because I think that is sort of like the part that coming from an Asian American Chinese culture, we don't really, the culture does not really want you to brag about yourself. For the longest time, I used to tell people that I'm not a take it. No, not true. 
So I was like, you know, but that a lot of is like really, you know, there's a lot of a painstaking growth lesson. Basically, you have to unlearn the soundtrack and unown the soundtrack that used to be so harmful. And uh, in Deepak Purashaman's, um, she actually wrote that book, The First to Build the Only. Mm, and she was yeah. one of my podcast guests in January. So we started in January. She was one of the earliest ones. And she is a big name. Yes. And she is. And when I asked her, would you like to be on my virtual water cooler jet? She was like, when do you want me to do it? And she didn't even ask me the question, how many followers do you have? That's she, so awesome. I love that. Yeah, I just love her. And then she, when we got on, she just congratulated me for launching it. Because, you know, the problem is people think about it, they don't do it. Yes. It's that procrastinating, like you said, you know, not wanting to own it. And the thing is, like, for me, is like figuring out exactly how to work out the finances. The, the finances of like basically doing producing podcasts is actually uh, you know it takes money <laughs> you know? how do you actually pay for this you know for my team and anything so I really find amazing women that actually really support my cause and it's interesting like before I would be like just so invisible and I prefer it done that way because then people cannot really pick on you you think, and then especially when you own your own company, you need to have people know what you are for and what you are not. So then you can actually choose your own people. I think that that is something that I'm kind of actively learning. I learned that from Sasha Strauss, one of my idol, branding idol. And um, I actually went to Dallas, Texas to go and meet him in person. <laughs> so that was pretty amazing. Now, where can we find your book? My book is going to be on Amazon.com, which will be the easiest place to find it. And you'll find it in uh, both the soft cover format, also the ebook, and then come January, the Audible. Um, and you can also go to www.fiercely-joyful.com. Any of my appearances are on there, uh, you know, things of that nature. And then, of course, I'm on all the socials. And so that's on there, too. Um, you know, I think if it's either we ourselves have an opportunity to find more joy in our lives or people that we know, you know, so I, I want to spread the word. So if it, if it sounds like something that resonates, you know, hopefully people will go out and take a look at the website and maybe pick it up. Before we end, any other takeaways that you would like to share with our audience? I would like to say one of the reasons I'm so passionate about authenticity is my life changed for the better when I finally surrendered my desire to conform and to please everyone else and start focusing a little bit on what I wanted out of life and what made me happy. And that empowered me to bring a whole different person to my work relationships and my personal relationships. And it helped me acknowledge 
the things I'm not so good at and lean in on my superpowers, which has helped me find joy. And it's, it's just, even uh, recently, there's been a, a there's always uh, um, some kind of shooting or attack or some kind of, there's hate-based attacks. I, it's so hard to wrap my mind around it. But every time one happens, something on that other side gives me hope for a better tomorrow. And being authentic doesn't mean holding uh, your, your, your sadness, your disappointment, your anger, your frustration and tamping it down. No, you get to experience those. That's part of your authenticity. And it also means, lastly, you don't get to show up for everybody but you. You know, you don't get to be everybody else's source of, you know, counsel, of friendship, of love, of giving without doing the same for you. That matters. And so for me, that's what I'm recognizing now. I have a lot of work to do with this book, actually, because (laughs) there's so many people being authentic for everybody but themselves. And I want to help. Yes. Yes. I want to help people do it for them. Make the choice to do it for themselves so they can experience the joy that every single person deserves. So, you know, that is awesome message. I really like that. I am finally finishing my first, second draft. The working title right now is Collaborating in Competitive Ecosystems. And you know that I, I have all of the animals, right? So we just added a tree frog today. <laughs> oh, we have octopus. I'm like, do we, do we have octopus in the forest? I'm not sure. I'll figure it out. I love it. So one of the things that what I've decided to do is that now most of it, I think that it's like 95% done. Um, I only need to do, like in terms of the first draft, right? And uh, when I said the first draft is like the content, uh, other group, grammatical editing. So what I am actually doing right now is that I'm going to get like few friends to basically just give them the manuscript. Please give me your, it's like only 106 pages with illustration. And I have, and actually get to promote like some of my young, you know, really good artists. And um, so she and I do like a Zoom sessions that basically we would do a voiceover Mm. to help both of us practice because we're both Asian Americans. She's Korean American, I'm Chinese American. Neither one of us are particular, you know, interested in hearing our voice but to say okay let's do a screen recording here here it goes and she's like i think she's gonna be 20 um and her illustration is amazing very lively has a lot of depth and um to to that so really do enjoy it we have like 10 chapters and a lot of the messages like value your own truth you know um how you handle like toxicity and yeah. then yours. That's that's really a lot of the space that. But the thing is that it's going to be in a storytelling format, 
And this is the hilarious part is like at the end, our key takeaways, I know that you have your nuggets too, but at the end of ours, at first I was like, I don't like the word key takeaways and I want it to be something different. So I was like learning something that is called micro learning moments. So I was like, oh, okay. And then I have heard you like the illustrations. Toward the end, um, it's just have a bunch of little books and an iPad in between and then it says micro learning moments. Wow. Then, and then it's like just five points after each chapter so that it refreshes, refreshes people because sometimes it's like when we have all these little attention span that we have and yeah. by the time you finish, it's like, what did I just read? <laughs> no. So I, I was in Calgary and I hung out with my friend who's the Olympian skeleton athlete. So I went to Calgary to see her, right? And then I was like, hey, and we had like a session that we just kind of like go through and I asked her um, and we read it from like my laptop. I said, what do you think about this? She goes like, if you want to be hip, maybe maybe we could call this MLM. And I said, MLM? <laughs> I like it, but let me get my team's input on this. So I get back on, um, now I didn't think about this, but this is an interesting part. It's so interesting to see how different people respond to just one thing, right? It was like, oh, MLM, so to this skeleton athlete, MLM is hip. And maybe it also has culture too. She's Canadian. So then come back, and then most of the people, so I asked Michelle, so Michelle, can we do, um, like, customize this? So we, our MLM actually has the... Um, animals instead of the books so customize she goes oh, which one do you want i said no i don't know whatever you decide to do you're the illustrator <laughs> i am not picky but then i let someone else you know i go through the same concept and i talk to them and they just give me a really uncomfortable look and i didn't know exactly what i said okay well i see that facial expression you didn't like it why it just remind me of like the pure of it marketing stretch. <laughs> that's what comes to mind. I mean, I'm like multi-level marketing kind of. <laughs> so I was like, do you think if I address it in the forward and then put an asterisk underneath each one so that it reminds people that I am not doing multi-level marketing? So you're, you're right. That's so fascinating how different people will totally perceive it differently. Wow. And that's actually really interesting. I mean, so I don't know exactly how to address it, but, you know, in like, for example, in law, I'm not an attorney, but I work with enough attorneys. So one of the things is that if you have a weak argument in something, you at least want to address it, not really emphasize on it, but at least talk about it. So uh-huh. I think that's what I'm going to do in the forward and then add a little asterisk disclaimer at the bottom so people whenever. And then, you know, it also has this repeated effect. So now maybe I'll be creating this whole thing and yes. changing the culture from MLM, from multi-level marketing to micro-learning movement. You might. You might just change it. We're going to be hashtagging. MLM, micro learning moment, asterisk, micro learning. <laughs> I love it. I just want to thank you for your time. It's really been 
amazing. And I think that is just fate that we met. I really want to take the time to thank you. And I really value our friendship. Gotta say thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ashley, for allowing me to join you here on the uh, water cooler chat, the virtual water cooler chat. I just love and um and for inviting me to you know speak about my truth and and what is is really important to me but more importantly i want to say thank you for lifting us up as women lifting us up lifting up our voices creating this platform for us to be able to speak out um this is this is what legacy building looks like so you've gone from I'm not articulate <laughs> to building, leaving <laughs> legacies. Okay. And I just want you to know how inspired I am by you and how grateful I am that we're friends. Cause I, th- I really think you're amazing. I'm telling you, I keep telling everybody, Oh my God, Ashley, Ashley. Like I just, I'm in awe and um, I recognize your superpowers and I'm grateful to see him firsthand. Thank you, my friend. Well, likewise. And I think my superpower is connecting people and also trying to see the best in people. And sometimes it does not go so well, but for the most part, time I try to persevere in figuring out exactly how to bring some light in a world that is sometimes really not so great with like everything that's going on. Well, you're Just, doing it. And I thank you. choose positivity thank you so much thank you Ashley